Welcome back to Avowedcast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG video game titled Avowed. We're not affiliated with Obsidian in any way, but would gladly offer them a free foot rub if asked. My name is Sora, and I will be today's host as we take a general tour of the world of Aeora. Think of today as a tour guide's overview of the geography and cultures that are found in this amazing world. Today, I'm joined by other fans uh, within this great community of gamers that hail from all over the world. So sit back and enjoy. Now, if you don't mind, I'm waiting for someone very important who is definitely coming back any day now. And you won't want to be here when she does. So welcome to Vowcast. We have uh, a great episode today where we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, give you an introduction to the world of Aeora and everything about it that you might want to know, excluding any spoilers. We're going to stay away from spoilers today. This is kind of a uh, maybe a brush up for those who played the games a long time ago, or if you've never played the games at all, and you just want to kind of get a, a broad stroke of of cultures and important figures and things like that. We're going to try to hit on all those today if we can. have a great group of people here today, so I'm going to let them uh, tell us who you are and what you've been up to. So, Jed Mandu, how are you doing? Hello. I'm doing all right. I've been very busy the past few days, but I've still found some time to get in some gaming. Uh, Picked up Celasta Crown of the Magister, which is Baldur's Gate, but way... Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, but way more heavily, I think, influenced by 5e. It's like grid-based and everything. It, it, really? It's it's, it's on a, Steam? It's on Steam. It's it's early access, but I'm willing to forgive that for this one because it's an indie game. And, well... Interesting. Indie, yeah. It, it feels very indie. Uh, the character models are, like, kind of Xbox 360 quality. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's it's a really interesting uh, it's a it's an original setting uh you know it, it it's um it's very tactical combat kind of like uh, bg3 yeah very vertical um i'm gonna check that out for sure yeah it's um, like, it, i think it's like 30 bucks right now i'd say it's worth it cheaper than bg3 right yeah um, um and then uh baldur's gate one still hammering away at that i've actually beat the main game and i'm on the siege of dragon spear which apparently came out in like 2016 what i don't even know about that yeah it's like Baldur's gate 1.5 kind of um and it's, oh man it's pretty cool it's pretty well written uh i think it was actually made entirely by beam dog the developer that um that made the right. enhanced editions yeah exactly did, did you uh, play this on switch is that right yes. and honestly it is really good on switch i, I i'm gonna continue to hammer that home because I've tried playing the enhanced editions on PC and I just can't get into them for some reason. It's just way easier on switch. Wow. Um, I haven't bought any of those. I know they have all of them. They have Icewind Dale yep. and they have the Baldur's Gate two and I've been wanting to, are, are they still full price? They're like 50 bucks or. Uh, yeah. So, well, the way it works is Baldur's Gate one and two and Siege of Dragonspear, and the Black Pits, and uh, um, Throne of Ball are all part of one package that's just like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 Enhanced Edition, and that whole package is 60 bucks. Okay, that's not bad. It's that's not, not bad, uh, all things considered. Um, 
but uh but yeah a uh, really good game and then finally i've been <laughs> i've been dipping my toes back into pokemon uh pokemon sword with the the crown tundra dlc mm, yeah which, that's right that just came out right yeah and and i got to admit like it's it's probably the best pokemon content that's been released in like five or six years like it's it's really actually good but it, it made me laugh a couple times which is something that pokemon uh humor usually doesn't do it's usually just incredibly cheesy that's um, cool though those are all good tips like all that's all money it sounds like i'm gonna have to spend now that sucks i'm sorry and you're welcome yeah i know kiwi what have you been doing oh it's uh speaking of cheap games i bought uh pathfinder kingmaker for 20 bucks Ooh. and i'm hooked it's been pretty good ride what do you like most about it i i kind of i i like the it has some some of the same feeling i get from pillars as in being a very classic crpg in a way have you gotten... I, I, I merely just don't act one, but I like the game already. I I actually spent probably I've got like a hundred hours or so in that game, and I I'm with you. Like it's really good. I will say, if you want to mod it out, I will. Say, I I think it's better in uh, turn based mode. Um, but that's possibly yeah, just my preference. Per, yeah, it's personal preference. I I got some mods too improve the quality of my life sweet yeah that's all you need really have you gotten to the kingdom management stage yeah uh maybe that's a thing that i, I was like pondering if i should put it on automatic or do the decisions myself because i th i think it's like extra package but what can you expect from a game that's called kingmaker true yeah um uh, kingdom management for me was like sometimes amazing and sometimes just a total headache that I just didn't want to do. Um, but it, it, it can be, I think pretty rewarding. Um, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. pretty cool. Pathfinder, yeah. Pathfinder as a rule set is new to me. Well, it's very, of course, very similar to D and D, but still, oh, yeah. it's uh, very, very familiar altogether. Basically, D and D three point seven five. Yeah, good recommendation. Uh, Parenthesis, what do, what have you been doing lately? I've been back at noodling at Supreme Commander Forge Alliance, which is an RTS. I think was was released back in two thousand nine. Though I, I may be wrong about that. It is um, it is a RTS in the vein of Total Annihilation. So it's more about handling resource flows than to handle discrete values that you are uh, well units extract. It's more about setting up production lines and setting them to repeat and setting your engineers to build giant bases so you can build enormous amounts of high-tech units that you can push into other enormous piles of high-tech units. You see enormous amounts of explosions. And don't <laughs> get me started if you get to the level where you can invest in experimental buildings and, and units because then things really hits the fan and it's wonderful. Uh, it sounds like a game that is made for me like i've i've really thought i know you've talked about it before and it's on my list now because those are the kind of games i feel like i can get sucked into and just play for hours and hours on end 
it has a unit cap in the single player campaign of 500 in the multiplayer it's 1000 per player that's insane <laughs> that's... yes but fine made efficient excellent there's nothing more satisfying than pushing pushing things into a big pile and blowing them up that's true, isn't it? It's just, uh, especially in 2020, it kind of helps uh, get some of that out of your system. I've been, I finished Pillars 1 on uh, the Switch. Um, was it your that. first play? No, this was my second full playthrough. My first playthrough was on the PC a while ago. Um, but this was me going back um, and just trying it on a different platform. And I will, that's why I'm so interested in what Jed Mandu said about Baldur's Gate because uh, if it's the only way you can play Pillars One, if you're a listener and it's the only way you can play it, do it. It's it's still it's an amazing game. It transfers well. Me as a player, though, I found it challenging. Um, I I found it challenging. I find it the, not challenging as game content, but just adapting to that platform of the switch. It was difficult for me. I did get through it. Um, I, I, but I found myself kind of pushing myself through it. Whereas I, and that might be a personal thing that I'm, I'm mainly PC kind of guy and that that's, that's my bread and butter, but I don't know. I, it just didn't feel as great. What's the control scheme? Like, is it, uh, do you, is there like joystick movement or is it like point and click? It's mostly point and click. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's point and click, and it's basically the almost identical to the interface that you have on the PC, and you're moving moving your cursor around. Um, some of the control buttons that they have are really mapped very well. Um, so I think it, it fluidity of the play once you get into it is not bad, especially if it's if this is the only time you've ever played it. I think you you won't you'll be fine. But having played it on a PC, and again, I don't know if that's personal bias or if that's just the game didn't translate very well. I know they're working on, or at least I've heard, and it's been advertised on Amazon that it's coming out on Switch, uh, that Deadfire is coming. I'd be Ooh. interested to see how that translates. Um, and I almost think that might translate a little bit better. Um, it's had a little bit more, I felt, modernized uh, interface. Um, and so, I don't know, it might work a little bit better. But um, that was what I, I also jumped into, an old favorite of mine. Um, I just couldn't hold back. It's, this was a game that I played a long time ago and I just fell in love with. I don't think a lot of people know about it, um, but it also got a bad rap because it... Uh, it was the catalyst for the company going out of business, kind of. And shortly after the game released, I think a month or two after, they declared bankruptcy. Um, but it's uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. Anybody know oh, that? Oh, yeah. Are you playing Re Reckoning? I'm playing Re Reckoning on Steam. Yeah. And I, I love it. I really love it. Um, it brings back a lot of memories. Um, What's funny, though, is it, they really have sharpened the graphics, but in a way, I kind of, and I went back, I tested this and went back and played a, a little bit, uh, a couple of hours on the Xbox 360, just just for fun. Um, and they had this whole haze to the game, 
uh, when it originally released, and that was this kind of overall blur. And obviously, that was because of trying to push the graphics at the time and and smooth out impurities and all that kind of thing. Um, but I kind of liked that. This new one is so sharp; it's almost too sharp for me. And it, that mystical kind of haze is not there anymore. Gameplay is a little bit better. The the they 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 didn't change much, but I do feel like it 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 is modernized a little bit. Still, it feels like an old game. If you've never played it before and you go to play it, don't expect a modern... Heck, I don't even remember. It was like 2012 when it originally came out. It was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, 2012. It, it was fantastic. I loved that game, and I, I'm still I'm playing it now. So, I'm, I don't know, I'm probably like 40% through the, the main story. Um, just a lot of fun. I just liked it and wanted to go back and give it a try again. I recommend it if you've never done it. It's not that expensive. I think it's like 20 bucks on Steam or something like that. Um, so, and you can even buy the original on Steam. And I don't think, I mean, the graphics won't be as good, but I think you'd be just as fine if you want to save a little money and play the original. It's, um, it's an action RPG, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't, yeah, it is. It's, it's, um, I mean, it's it's kind of like, and I don't, it's not really, but it's kind of like Skyrim and any of those other games where you you run around and you know they're all the, very similar. Um, you have this this open world concept. Um, you have you go to these places and get quests, although it's a little more linear than maybe say a Skyrim. Um, but yeah, it's it's action RPG uh, to a certain extent. But there's a gr great story, great lore to it. Oh, yeah, I saw it was written by R.S. Salvatore, and I'm also seeing it, it described uh, upon its initial release as if the Fable series had a baby with Skyrim. Oh, I like that. That is a really <laughs> good explanation. Yeah, I think that's that's got a lot of truth to it. It does. It definitely does. But anyway, that's what I've been up to. Um, appreciate you guys joining me today. Um, we've kind of divided our thoughts up today. We're going to do a pamphlet version. This is a tourist guide to Aora. We are going to do our best to avoid spoilers. We don't want to spoil anything from the first two games as much as possible, but there are a few things we need to tell you if you're traveling to this world and you want to be prepared. We're going to give you some heads up on a few things. Again, we're not necessarily interested in today in uh, plot summaries from the first two games, um, and we're not going to dig too deep into lore, but we wanted to, let's say you're a newbie and you really don't know this whole world of Avowed, uh, where Avowed is taking place. You you really don't understand it. You don't know how many continents are there. What are the kind of cultures that exist there? Um, uh, what kind of things will I find when I'm walking along the road? Um, we're going to give you just some tips. So we are, we are your tour guide. You've hired us for the day. We're going to kind of give you a broad stroke review of this world. So one of the things about the geography, and again, my my fellow uh, hosts here can jump in at any time and correct me on anything because I know I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm doing the best I can from memory here. But as far as I remember, um, other than the small maps that are available in the game, um, they never released an official uh, atlas or map of the world of Aora. And, That's and, true. I, and I do know I did do a little digging and I looked up an interview with uh, Josh Sawyer, and this was, I think this was after the first game that he did. He said this, 
But in this interview, he, uh, and this is the director designer, um, he said that they did that on purpose. They wanted to avoid specifying exact locations, including borders and outlines until they specifically add them to the game itself in order not to limit themselves in the future. I respect that. I think that's a really cool decision. Um, but I have, there is a semi-official map of at least part of Aora. I know what you're talking about, I bet. Is it the one of the table? Yes. Yes. Go ahead and tell us about that. Okay, so in in Pillars 2, uh, there is a, uh, a Rautian sort of game table uh, that it seems to be used for sort of some some kind of strategy game or, or you know, uh, plotting troop movements or something like that. Um, and it it contains like most of the con uh, most of the uh, the uh, geography, I think, of the named places in Aora, or at least we can sort of infer uh, some of the geography based on you know, uh, based on what we're told in game and as far as relational uh, geography, you know, one country to another, uh, you know, what's in what's in what direction, right? Um, yeah, and and you can actually find that if you do a search um, for, even if you do like a general image search for Aora uh, maps, I think it'll come up, because uh, I know people have taken that map and they've actually drawn on it and pointed yeah to the areas that exist on it, uh, as far as where Adair is, uh, the, the Eastern Reach and things like that. Um, there's another one too. Did you see this one? The one, Somebody took the globe from the left side of the user interface that would take you to the quote unquote world map, which was really not really a world map, but just like a map of parts of the Eastern Reach or things like that. But they took the globe itself, the icon, as a literal um, interpretation, which I, I think is stretching it a little bit. But then they took that little iconic bitmapped uh, image of a globe and then fleshed it out into a real uh, globe. Oh my God. Of, yeah, it's really interesting. Again, I think it's a bit of a stretch, um, but it's, it's pretty cool to look at. And they take this globe and make it, where it's not uh, blurry and uh, pixely um, into this little globe format and even have one image where they've labeled uh, where they believe the continents, according to the way they're described in the game, would be located. Um, but in general, um, that map that Jed Mandu is talking about is really the only official one I think we have. Is that correct? Yes, and again, it's partial. It, it's not. It's not the whole world. There are definitely missing pieces, but uh, I think it reflects most of what uh, sort of the common knowledge geography of the world is. And um, should we start with, I, I guess, the Eastern Reach? Let's do it. Yeah, jump in. Okay. So, um, and again, you guys feel free to jump in and correct me with anything because I, I I've played this game a lot, but I'm not exactly an expert. Um, but the Eastern Reach I, uh, is uh, a continent um, located just south of the equator, at least on this sort of partial map here. That's what it seems. Um, it contains the, uh, the provinces of the Deerwood, uh, which is a free 
Palatinate. It's a it's a, a former colony that uh, that recently gained its independence through a series of very bloody wars that still sort of mar the uh, um, the cultural consciousness. Um, the Ishamidal Plains to the north of that. Good job. I was hoping I wouldn't have to be the one who had to pronounce that. Thank you for doing that. No problem. It's uh, I, I love the sort of cultural influences on, on these names. Uh, Ishmael, I think, is sort of a Mayan or Aztec kind of influence. That, that place is like a savanna. It's like a what? It's like, uh, you know, uh, like an African plains. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you know fertile savanna, um, yeah. mainly sort of agrarian. Um, we we haven't really gotten a lot of details about that. Yeah, that's good. That's a, that's the place where the humans upbraised savanna people are from. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. That well, that yeah. would make perfect so sense. They, also, the, some of the Orlans also come from there. Yeah, and I think uh, Raid Saris is. Um, sort of part of the Ishmael Plains? Well, um, they're to the south of them, I think. Is it? Okay. It's between East and Deerwood. Gotcha. Um, Raid Saris being a fairly, well, not fairly, extremely conservative uh, theocracy based around worship of Aethus, the god of light. We'll get into him later. Um, slave keeping, uh, you know, Lots of uh, repression and and violence in Raid Saris. Generally, probably not a fun place to be unless you're, you know, a uh, very devout worshiper of Aethus. Yeah, not so not a great tourist spot for you. So, yeah, maybe maybe steer clear of that one. You can actually visit in in uh, Pillars One in DLC briefly. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Which one was that? It's a White March one, okay, or, or two. Basically, it's just a like an encampment of Red Sarah's people who also want to take over the fort in White March. Yes, yeah, I I know what you're talking about. And then you have the Air Galanth. I'm going to mess it up. Glanfloth. Air Glanfloth. There uh, you go. So. They're kind of where are they to the east a little bit of Deerwood? Yes, kind of? yes, southeast kind of like east southeast, I guess. Um, mm. Erglanfoss being a yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's a it's a forest region. It has uh, Orlons and uh, uh, wood elves there that have some uh, fairly primitive society based on. The worship of the gods, and they also protect the Engvithian ruins. Engvithians were the were uh, an ancient civilization that has uh, mysteriously disappeared, but they have an effect on the world today. An interesting thing about Erglanfath is it's actually a confederation of uh, a bunch of different uh, tribes. Um, they 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 value um, sort of communality. It's they're they're a little communist in a way. Um, you know they 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 share resources. You know of course they they compete and everything. Yeah. But it, uh, it's a very collaborative it, okay. society. 
if you want the real world analogy to like what the air wood is i i feel like the air wood is somewhat uh, like a starting uh colonies of united states and either is the british empire and then you I've have that land that it's like uh like uh the native tribes yeah yeah it, it in in real world terms and that would definitely explain the accents of the deer woodens because everyone in deerwood talks like this they're they're pretty serious about their freedoms right True. so they so the Eastern reach, we, we've, I think we've covered pretty much most of it, but then you mentioned the Adair empire, which is, I guess, if you were going to look on a map would be the Western reach kind of would be to the West of the Eastern reach. If I'm correct, um, still kind of along the equator, uh, temperate kind of like the Eastern reach mostly. Um, anybody want to talk about this, uh, British, I mean, Adair empire. <laughs> Tropical, in fact. Uh, uh, I just wanted to uh, add to the previous topic of Eastern Reach that there's also the the Valian Republics. Yes, that's oh, right. Yeah. Totally, yes. Good catch. Crowded little continent. Um, so, so basically, they are an offshoot of the. There was a Valian kingdom previously, but on a on a, another big island, but which is now old Valia, but. The Valian Republics is probably the most successful offshoot of Valia. And Valians are basically a real world analogy to Renaissance Florence, valuing yeah. trade uh, and arts, science. Yeah, it really is. The Eastern Reach really is like fleshed out pretty heavily. I mean, there actually are some pretty good. Uh, fan-made maps of the Eastern Reach uh, that are pretty detailed. Um, as of course we experience, you know, we you flesh out quite a bit of that in the first game, um, and uh, it's, I think, probably of all the areas uh, that we would talk about is probably the continent that is maybe the uh, the Deadfire region. Of course, is is Pillars Two that's got a lot of detail, but I think the Eastern Reach is is the most fleshed out continent would you agree yes and of course the that far archipelago is uh, very near close to eastern reach yeah right. no, absolutely it, um it's absolutely the most fleshed out that is uh, i mean considering we've had two games worth of uh right worth of lore to to um you know since since the first game was actually set in deerwood and the second game you know we still sort of looked back every now and then to uh, flesh out the, the lore of that region a little bit more. Right. Cause like yeah. you said, they're, they're geographically on a map. If there was a world map, they would probably, they will, they are very close to one another and on the same kind of side of the world. Um, so I think that's an interesting choice not to get too far off on a tangent, but as far as game development goes, I mean, that's genius. You, you create this, world quote unquote and um you really focus heavily in on a part of that world even though yes there's lore and and there's sto other story involving these other continents but you you leave yourself open for quite a bit which is kind of the rumor for avowed is that they might be traveling to the living lands that's it's a rumor but um that 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 kind of continent to the north 
would be where they would be exploring in that game. Mm-hmm. And it's really good that they left so many, like, uh, let's say, uh, many things open, like not just the world map, but they're be very vague about what's in the actual continents, like of Rawatai or Adir or the Livilands or the White that wins. Yeah, it also fits in with the the time period we're in, where it is vaguely the age of exploration, mentally and technologically. Yeah, this uh, where not... where people are still trying to figure out where where what what is on the in the world, and for that matter, which shape has it. Yes, and yeah, it's, it means also that there's uh, oh, there's not a lot of uh, ec- cult- cultural exchange or exchange of people is mostly merchants going from place to place and, and adventurers. Yeah. And I think um, like I, the, just a, re, a quick review, you know, we, if you were, if you were to go to the internet and go to Google and do Aora map, you're going to find a lot of fan made maps. There's a few that are good, not necessarily because they're completely accurate because there's obviously we know some things, but not everything. Um, but I think they're good because they spread out these continents in a way that you can really get an idea of what we're talking about. So you can see where the Eastern reach is compared to the Adir empire, compared to the living lands, the white that wins. Um, it kind of spreads it out a little bit so you can get a better picture of this world that, that you're headed to. Um, any other geographical notes you guys want to talk about? Well, let's talk about Andra's mortar. Let's do it. The permanent storm at the at the extreme north end of the Deadfire Archipelago, also brushing up against Rawatai and, and making that continent uh, kind of a, a, well, a hellhole to live in at times. Um, Andra's Mortar, or so it's said, uh, blocks off a pretty major part of the world to explorers. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's uh, there's another continent off to the east, uh, or at least so so it's presumed, uh, so it's told about in old histories, uh, called Yezuha. Um, and uh, Yezuha, described in, in ancient texts as a land of, uh, you know, deserts and sort of arid landscapes, um, is is said to have been one of the major powers of the ancient world. Now, since Andres Mortar started up, they've developed in isolation to the rest of the world in in ways that really nobody knows about. Um, and you know, maybe maybe in avowed, we'll potentially get to see some uh, some hints of of Yezuha culture and how they've developed. Um, but as of as of the uh, the start of Pillars One, uh, Yezuha is more or less legend. In Pillars of Eternity Two, you can actually get the um, this uh, sidekick companion that that is a Stormfolk, as in it's a he's a human f- uh, from other side of the Andras Mortar. Next so day, right? Uh, yeah. So basically, we we actually don't know what the continent to the east 
is so any map that's being thrown off era is incomplete good point and i'm so glad you you guys brought that up um and i'm curious as to and this is another thing that just pops in my head while i'm thinking about it is we we kind of have heard again we've heard through rumor i don't know that it's official that josh has moved on to another project that is not avowed um and i don't know how official that is but seeing as he was probably the the from his quote one of the forces behind the games not having an official atlas of sorts <clears throat> i would be curious to see when avowed comes out if they aren't if they don't feel the pressure from modern games to do that to flesh this out to show those areas we don't know to I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think we'll see a full atlas with uh, about release? I hope not. I I also hope that Project Eternity lives up to its name. <laughs> Do not, not just be three games. I mean, I, I think that 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 Sawyer or no Sawyer, the uh, people at Obsidian have enough integrity to uh, leave something for the imagination. Yeah, I trust Obsidian on that one. It, it, part of the appeal of the, of Aora for me is the fact that it's it's so open ended, and if they, you know, close that door behind them, well, it, you know, it certainly I think loses some appeal for for some folks. True, I agree, especially if it does only take place on one continent or even part of one continent, they're going to want to just this is just a profitability thing. They're going to want to leave room for future expansions or uh, an avowed two or such. And they want to leave the door open so they can create things. And, and I, though I hate to go back to it, um, World of Warcraft is an example. And, and then they didn't follow that specifically when they originally released. There was already maps from the Warcraft fran franchise of the world um, of Azeroth and all of that. But um, what they did is they either created these cataclysmic events to change the geography or they um, basically said, oh, and there's this other place that you didn't know about that's over here. And uh, that's where this is going to take place. So it, I, what I'm saying is I agree with each of you, and I think that's a smart decision. I do think that the average gamer is going to expect that and that and it really takes some guts from a developer to to fight that trend because you know we are diff we are a little different we all are we're crpg nuts we um we love the company we love what they've done before but if you think of of average joe uh you know jumping into this franchise with avowed you know they might catch a little flack for that so it's going to be a tough decision for them well it's such a trope i mean look at you know, every fantasy novel pretty much ever, or every like big sprawling fantasy novel ever written, what's, you know, on the, on the first couple pages, right? A big old map of the region and right justified. What's that? It's always so that the ocean is to the left. <laughs> Maybe left justified, I don't know, but, but that's how they are always painted. The sword goes wheel of time, Eora. Even yeah, Middle that's, Earth. That right? is a really good point. Yeah, I'd never Witcher, thought of that. Witcher 3 map. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we wanted to spend, we talked about the geography a little bit. We wanted to kind of give you 
uh, in our tourist capacity, an idea of what you would see if you're new to this world or uh, you don't know much about it. If you're attend if you're going to some of these regions that we just discussed, um, we wanted to give you an idea of what you might see as far as the inhabitants go. Um, this could include, you know, races and cultures uh, mixing together and things like that. So. I'm just going to open it up to our panel. We did talk about the Eastern Reach, which again, I understand the Eastern Reach is, that's a very big area to talk about. Um, but let's, let maybe Deerwood, we could start there. You you pull your ship into Deerwood. Um, what are some of the things that you're going to see? What are Who are some of the people or inhabitants or races that you might encounter as you approach the Eastern Reach from that area? Well, you're going to see meadow folk, as in humans from Adur Empire, uh, colo colonists. And you're also going to see some dwarves there, and maybe some valians and some uh, wood elves from Adur Empire. The other places in Eastern Reach, you're also going to find more wood elves with, uh, from our Clanfath and Hearth Orlands and Wire Orlands from Ixamidal Plains that. Uh, is a home to also to Savannah folk. And if you're pulling your ship into Deerwood, then you're probably landing in its capital, Defiance Bay, uh, which is a fairly, uh, fairly diverse, fairly bustling uh, big city um, led by uh, Avar Wolfgren. Yeah, it's a, it's a like a it's like a free city that doesn't have a king, but a, uh, ma major or some other uh, chosen ruler. Yeah, he's technically a duke, D-U-C. Um, oh. But he uh, he's a uh, he he's very insistent that his his territory remain free. And so if you begin to explore from there, we did talk about the plains a little bit, but let's say you head just a tad bit to the north. Um, are, are you going to see anything different as you explore this continent even deeper? Or is what we see in Deerwood representative of the whole continent? Um, you're going to hit the mountain reach. Yeah, the White uh, March. Yeah, it's a, it's a, well, it's a mountain reach. Uh, you, there will be snow. You, you might get the vibes of Icewind Dale there. If you go even further north from there, you're going to reach Red Sarah's, the quasi-theocratic place where Earthus is worshipped. Yeah, expansive plains, uh, Vorlas farmers, uh, which I, from everything I can gather is kind of sort of like a turnip, I think. Um, <laughs> mostly, Most of the kith in Red Sarah's, I think, are are folk that is human in our uh earth tongue yes um, and, and kith means uh basically all sentient intelligent folk folk like uh, or uh, races that, that is to say dwarves elves humans orlans almawa yeah kith is a nice elegant way to avoid saying the word humanoid <laughs> it's good though you got i mean the kith races is it really it's well? great so yeah um so can continue exploring the area let's say we move um maybe south do we want to jump to like the the dead fire archipelago area 
Well, before you hit the dead fire, you'll hit the Valian Republics. Oh, yes, I did, which I missed and, last time. And before you hit Valian Republics, you hate Arklanfath. Ah, true. Yeah. So what would we see there as far as inhabitants? You will see Wood Elf and Hearth Orland tribes that are, are very primitive in, in their culture and, and very devoted to their, their cards and have this very communal society that we like we already discussed well interestingly um you say you say primitive and and you know outwardly that that's evident you know glenfathens live in huts and tents and and you know that there's not a lot of um grand architecture and whatnot but uh one of their main cultural values is actually mathematical aptitude um glenfathens invented calculus um not to pursue any sort of um you know scientific well hard scientific endeavor but more to aid their sort of cultural introspection introspectiveness about the nature of the world um that, that even from an early age Lundfathens uh pursue you know algebra geometric logic um when when the deer woodens and valians uh, first came across the Glanfathens, they were sort of embarrassed to find out that uh, calculus, which they thought that they had invented, was already there. That whole region of, of Deerwood, Glan Glanfath, and Valerian Republic is very diverse, I think is the way to put it, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, it is. It's a melting pot. And it's a small geographical area, like we were talking about before. So it's kind of hard to, uh, you can't really attribute an entire race to uh, one particular area. So, I mean, there, there's, there's majorities, but um, it's pretty fluid in some respects. Um, so moving on, any other areas we want to talk about as far as inhabitants and people they might find as they're journeying this world? If we move to that far archipelago, it that is mostly inhabited by uh, island Aumawa. We, Aumawa are uh, the biggest kith race there is. They are usually seven to eight feet tall. They have uh, uh, wide nostrils, big space between their eyes, uh, spiked teeth, and usually tall, some sometimes reached uh, skulls, and they are, have slightly webbed hands and feet. And island Aumawa are usually colored red to yellow with sand stripes. Then there's also coastal Aumawa, which don't live in our that far archipelago that are from blue to green color. I've always sort of described uh, Almawa to people who didn't really have much of a frame of reference as shark people. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Extremely strong. Uh, they have a command or kind of an affinity for water. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting. I like that. And in the Deadfire, um, the main sort of culture, the main native culture at least, uh, is called the Juana, uh, who are based in large part on uh, the real life Tonga people of the, uh, of the Pacific. Um, 
you know, with their, uh, you know, long sort of cruising canoes, um, very nautical culture, um, a focus on, uh, you know, spirituality, uh, not necessarily, you know, certainly religiosity in a sense, but the Juana are a more sort of spiritual than rigidly religious, uh, people. And they, uh, they are very tribal tribal uh, yes you can see like they don't uh, value technology as much or yeah technology or architecture as much as rawatayans or Baelians. and speaking of their religion they it's uh, interesting that when you play the pillars of eternity 2 they have um, uh, different names and characteristics for the gods of the pantheon. Uh, every god has a different name and usually manifests him or herself in a, another form. Like uh, like Bareth like, uh, taking the form of Rikuhu and Tangaloa. To the two eels, which I think, if I remember right, are kind of a, uh, yeah. an Ouroboros sort of thing, eating one another. So it's basically the cycle of death and rebirth. Yeah, which we'll get into later, I think. But uh, yeah. another interesting thing about the Juana uh, living among them, uh, you'll notice the caste system, um, which is rigidly enforced in, in Juana society. Um, there's the Roparu, the lowest class, uh, unskilled laborers, um, unfortunately uh meant to starve in in uh you know less um uh oh boy oh boy i'm blanking on words now oh, no. times. yes thank you <laughs> less prosperous times um it's uh they're they're generally sort of considered a uh an imperative you know that they're they're there to work they're there to sacrifice uh, for for their you know betters, and they're destined to be reborn into a higher caste as their reward in the next life. Um, there's the Kuaru, the artisanal merchant class. Um, the Mataru, uh, sort of the highest caste, consisting of uh, you know priests, warriors, uh, tribal chieftains, uh, which are also known as Ranga. Uh, the uh, I suppose the the only cast above the Mataru. Um, also, uh, the um, the Mataru among them, you have the uh, storm speakers. Uh, sort of, you can think of them kind of as weather mages, um, which help uh, you know help tribes uh, keep away the <laughs> the the worst uh, storms the Deadfire has to offer basically the the highest cas cas class of Juana society takes the biggest responsibility but they also are the first to uh, reap the benefits of their society getting first the money and supplies food and then what's left is passed down to the second class and so on uh, the, if you go south of that far archipelago you'll reach an island that's not in the 
uh, in the games, but is in the world that's called Nasitak, and that's the home that's home for Boreal dwarfs. Not much is known about it, but it's a, a more it's a more cold environment, not Arctic like the white that vents, but still it's the home for Boreal dwarf subrace. Yeah, it's it's meant to be sort of a tundra, um, a fairly inhospitable, but not completely, you know, barren. Um, plenty of hunting to be had, some agriculture, uh, although it's very limited. Uh, you know, not a lot can really grow in such a uh, not not a lot of crops, at least, can really grow in in such a cold and arid region. Um, but uh, there's there's a very strong sort of um, I guess Inuit kind of influence, if that makes sense. Somewhat. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, whales and seals are hunted for yeah. for their blubber. Um, uh, foxes are are trained to uh, to aid in hunting, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's a very it's a very interesting and not very well explored. Uh, area of the world yeah yeah and you will also see a few pale elves in Nasitak also some of those who like to travel more but mostly pale elves live in this big continent in in the deep south called the white that winds which is a very cold harsh environment most most uh uh, folk or kith in Europe would say that's completely inhospitable, but you, but it's basically a place where pale elves live. Like if you have to imagine elves living in in Antarctica. Yeah, it's more or less considered to be the South Pole as far as far as anybody knows. And yeah. then if you move up even further, you have uh, Old Balia, and that is. Do what do we know about that? Um, Old Valia. Uh, it's a it's a bigger island. I, I wouldn't say it's a continent, but it's a bit. It, it's north from the wide advance and east from eastern reach. I don't know west from eastern reach. West, and, there you go. And there used to be this very old kingdom of Valia, but it collapsed, and now there's old old Valian Republic, and some of uh, Valian people moved to. The eastern reach where you have the valian republics and you also have some this pirate faction in that far archipelago that are the former valian nobility wow, the principi sen patrena yes and the valians are basically um the renaissance italian or florence people who value trade arts uh and science and uh, specifically animancy yes. uh, animancy is much <laughs> less of a uh, of a controversy in, in valia than it is in other parts of the world and yeah. we'll get into animancy i think uh in, in shortly yeah yeah in a little bit and old valia is home to the o oceanic folks folk so says one of the human sub races and they are have darker skin uh what kind of accent would you say they have Caribbean or I mean I've always seen them in in uh 
in the game is sort of having this like French Italian combination accent. Electricity. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you in these ocean folk, uh, you you also see some of them actually in the Adair Empire a little bit, not a lot. Yeah, but they, they're Adair they're is mostly meadow folk and uh, yeah. Meadow. Yeah, and there's along the coast. There's uh, a few others, maybe uh, that we see, but yeah, it's mostly meadow folk and wood elves. Um, anything else that they might yes. see if they were to travel to Adair? Well, well, Adair Empire. It's it's a big continent, and I'm sure it's much more diverse than we think. Than we think, it could be much much more diverse than Eastern. Which who who knows? The game developers haven't told us much about it, but it's a it's a vast like a jungle area. And it's actually where uh, the mountain dwarves are from originally, but they don't uh, live there anymore. I guess it has had something to do with the elves and humans living there. Probably, yeah. The the sort of the story of um, of the Adir Empire is the story of the the uh, the integration of the cultures of humans and elves. Um, in fact, yes. there's there's even like like. Uh, um, wrote sort of institutions like uh, the uh, the Hamneg, which is basically a ceremonial uh, marriage between uh, a human and an elf uh, used to consolidate power among the aristocracy. Mm. And they don't, and they actually have their like uh, separate lineages, the royal lineages where the humans have their one and um, elves have their their own. So it, I've never really been clear on this, um, and maybe you guys can help me out. Can can humans and elves uh, like breed in a? No, uh, they they were very specific. The devs were very specific that there are no half anything here. Okay. So 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 that is why this ceremonial marriage is a big deal because it cannot produce offspring, um, but it may be useful politically or socially. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah that it makes make a lot more sense. Oh, it, it, in terms of sort of fleshing yeah. out the character of yeah. the Adir Empire. Actually, the Adir Empire is it's very interesting. If, if we talk about the Awaud trailer, because it basically tells about the or references the Adir Empire history, which is that it used to be an Adir kingdom of the humans living it in that in that continent and they waged war against the elves and they made a truce or they ended the war in peace and they formed the bigger empire that has this uh, re this system of having uh, ceremonial marriage and they also have very strong worship of Vudika in that yes context. um actually in fact the 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 monarchy of the Adair Empire is number one hereditary and number two um outright sanctioned by uh Woodica, the goddess of, of justice. Um in fact the uh the ruling couple of the Adder Empire is uh is uh always or at least currently uh a reign a human emperor and an elven queen. Yeah, and uh, speaking of of them, we 
kind of get glimpses of of them in the trailer for Avowed, correct? If, especially the symbol for Wudica on the banner that's flapping on the castle wall, right? Oh yeah, it's prominent. Yeah. Yes, there's a and there's the faction of steel uh, steel garret which is active in Air Empire. Yeah, the pa- it's a paladin order, right? Uh, no, um, I don't is, think so. Is it, is it not? Am I getting that wrong? I'm probably getting that wrong. But I, I, no, it 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 is is a paladin order. It's a, actually a subclass of paladins that you can play in. Uh, I was wrong. Ah, okay. Currently, too. But basically, it's like they they um, uh, believe in, in the virtues of Vodica, which is being rational and cruel. So basically, yeah. it's about vengeance against oathbreakers. Yeah, anyone who signs a contract and uh, violates it uh, can be hunted down by the Steel Garot. Yes. And in Pillars well, of Eternity, uh, yeah. Uh, in Pillars of Eternity 2, we see uh, in one uh, depths of one temple, we see an elf being accused of oathbreaking that he made decades ago decades ago these this order of steel garrot they remember and you'll never never um get away from them and they'll catch you creepy uh, uh, and why it's called garrot it's because it's said that Budika manifests herself sometimes to oath breakers uh to kill them uh, by carroting well, it isn't covered much in the games. Uh, the examples of the planes are hinted at having a grand scholarly tradition, which, for instance, uh, instantiates in the fact that they were the ones who invented the idea of the, the bleak order, a, uh, a specific paladin order who goes by the, the axiom that war is hell, and in order to avoid war, you have to make it as horrible as absolutely possible. And and this very, very specific order, which I don't think is connected to any of the gods, has a reputation from being not unstoppable, but once they have been unleashed upon a foe, that they won't stop until they are either dead or their foe are. So they sort of become a, a trump card that one side may pull in and point at the other and say, go go get them. And then the other's like, oh, no, no, wait, 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 Polly, Polly, we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll settle, we'll figure out something. <laughs> the Bleak Walkers are just completely ruthless. And like you said, it's, it's a tactic. It's, it, um, it's a very interesting way of achieving peace through like worsening war, <laughs> making, making yes. war so awful that no one would ever consider it as an option. <laughs> But it's also yeah. like, as we mentioned before, that exists the uh, the uh, what was called the uh, I forget the uh, the steel the steel garrots. They exist as a as a threat. If you don't uphold your vows, the steel garrot will, will will eventually come after you. If you don't stop right now, we will unleash the bleak waters. And where will you be then? <laughs> Dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I Definitely. think I think the the paladin orders are. It's a it's a nice way to role play in in pillars because you they get bonuses from by doing what their uh, favorite disposition is like bleak bleak workers are aggressive and cruel 
Yeah, and there's all kinds of uh, different uh, paladinical orders that are uh, very, very diverse from one another. For instance, uh, on the flip side of the Bleak Walkers, you have the Kind Wayfarers, uh, which are scattered about the, you know, scattered about Aora pretty, um, you know. They're kind of all over the place. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, that they're not really, they're not really centralized anywhere. Um, but they're 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 uh, they're kind. You know, they're as yeah, as they're, they're the white knights. Yeah, exactly. They're kind and charitable. They are they are what you think of when you think of a paladin. Although, uh, they're not really even necessarily the the biggest order. The um, place that we haven't talked about much is uh, for uh, Rawatai Rawatai continent. Uh, which is home to the coast oh, of right. and they are uh, it's a it's a great kingdom of Rawatai, which is perhaps analog analogous to uh, Spanish Empire uh, in the uh, 15th century, having big armadas, uh, big ships, big, lots of big cannons, uh, colonizing places. They in Pillars of Eternity 2, we can see the Rawatai trying to find islands to farm on. Yeah, because yeah. their their homeland is is plagued by these terrible storms that spring off from Andra's Mortar to the east. Yeah, and the Rawatai continent itself is actually pretty bad for agric agriculture. And it's so, kind of located, just for people who aren't aware, it's kind of north of the Eastern Reach. Right. And uh, my, I, myself, I don't know much about the continent itself. I just know that Rawatai are from there. And it's bad for ag agriculture. That's why they are looking for uh, areas to farm on. Yeah, there's not a lot really to be known about Rawatai. Uh, not not at this point, at least. Um, besides the fact that the soil is rocky, the weather is horrible, uh, and the 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 people are uh, brusque and you know fairly, uh, I'd say businesslike <laughs> and militaristic also. Militaristic, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Brass um, is the brass yeah. is the way to go. Yeah. And uh, very, very proficient in uh, in like in naval sciences and uh, and um, oh, and gunnery. That, that's a, that's actually a big mm. cultural touchstone in 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 Rawatai. Yeah, um, and they 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 are, they are very proud people. Well, which actually is every Aumawa are <laughs> very proud. Actually, I think Island Aumawa in Archipelago they are really proud people and you <laughs> you don't want to go go against them very true yeah the force um, to be reckoned with uh if you go further north or northwest from rawatai there's the continent of living lands which is doesn't have any kingdom or or uh, any government of the kind it's a it's a wild place it's a boreal climate mountains valleys lots of big powerful beasts and dangerous plants you'll mostly adventuring dwarves there so yeah it's, it's mentioned that it's uh you know they've have mentioned that it's an extremely diverse area kind of like a frontier uh 
far north, uh, wild weather, uh, just about every uh, that that's what we talked about before with about is if it is set there, that's like a perfect setting for it. You you have this diversity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think the, the I think the closest um real life sort of uh um analog would be kind of like Iceland, but with the with the um uh biological diversity of the Americas. Yeah. If you were Ernest Hemingway, that's that would be the place you'd go and never come back. <laughs> yeah, because the, the creatures there's a bar. Yeah. The fauna are are insane. You you can find things in the living land that just don't exist elsewhere. Yeah. It's I this be, sort of yeah. primordial, wild, extremely dangerous country. And if you pick pick uh, living lands as your culture for your character, you'll get uh, uh, attribute bonus to your might. It tells something about the lands. Yeah, you have to be mighty to survive. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's an interesting location that was obviously from a designer standpoint, very deliberate. Um, you know, I mean, uh, to, to have these regions that are so fleshed out, but to have this one that is almost like the wild west in a certain way of, we don't know much. That'd be art, Roger Dragons. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Jed, do you remember the book, uh, from, POE to DLC that talks about the Adir conquest of living lands. I do, and uh, and the fact that as of the the end of Pillars Two, not to spoil anything, uh, that conquest has yet to actually happen. Um, that book is considered by most people in the community to be a prophecy of sorts, um, and. I think we got into this uh, in the very first episode of the podcast, but I, I mentioned that uh, um, that that might be sort of central to the plot of Avowed if the you know if the leaks but, about it are true. Yeah, yeah, and if like uh, to add to this, uh, I'd say like if we want to predict about something that if if Avowed were in Living Lands, I'd say like what folks would you see you'd see. I think you'd mostly see like uh, dwarves there that, that are adventurous explorers there. But you, I think, if it's set on the period where the Adir are conquer, trying to conquer the living lands, then you'll see like lots of meadowfolk and wood elves also that basically Adir conquest force conquistadors. And, yeah, and I think I. I'd say Rawatines would be there too. But before we head out, I want to give everybody a chance, uh, anybody who has something going on to give us a shout out. Where, where can we find you? What are you, are you doing anything as far as social media? Um, just feel free to, to spurt out your name and tell us what you're doing. Ed Mandu. That's my name, Spurt. There you and go. I'm, <laughs> I'm on Twitch. I'm uh, twitch.tv slash Jedmandu. Uh, I'm still doing my weird game tasters concept with my friend Dax, uh, where we sort of give each other a, a game and food pairing. Um, this week we're doing Apex Legends, I think. I don't know what the food's going to be, but I don't know anything about Apex Legends, so I can't even really start to uh, to guess. Um, and I'm also on Twitter. Uh, 
Jed Mendu, just, you know, pretty simple. I'm just at Jed Mendu, I think. Um, brand new to Twitter, never used it before. Come give me a follow if you want. I post a lot about politics because, good Lord, the world that we're living in, how can you not? Um, uh, yeah, especially where we're, we're living right now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's about it for me. Cool. Uh, Kiwi parenthesis, you guys, are you on social at all? You got anything you want to uh, tell us about yourselves? If you, for any reason, want to follow my particular bit of pedantry and insanity, you can look me up on Reddit under the handle Command Objective. But uh, be warned, politics, politics. That's okay. Kiwi? Uh, you won't find me. <laughs> he doesn't Ke want to be found. You're in good company, my friend, because you won't find me anywhere. Uh, but you, you, you will find him. People who will know this, uh, like know who I am, is by voice. Yeah. Okay. So, Avowedcast, we do have a website, avowedcast.com. It's not much of a site; it's just a place for you to go to see our episodes, where they're posted, and how to get to them in different uh, venues. Uh, also, you can send stuff to us to avowedcast at gmail.com. We encourage you to send emails, speak up, tell us what you think, uh, ask us questions. We love your questions. Um, we will also take any content that you want to send. If you want to record your voice or record a question, we'll put that on the air as well. Um, and then you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Avowedcast. I can only guess your presence here has something to do with Theos. The energy of this place changes when he is near. I don't know what he has done, but I do know of the souls that pass through here now. They do not come by choice. After all this time, he would still stand against the tide. I can see his influence, still hanging like a weight about your neck. So it always was. Thank you all again for listening to Avowedcast and for being a part of this amazing gaming community that's kind of developing around this future release um, we're very excited about um, we are going to take a break from the podcast since we're entering the holiday season and the end of 2020, thank God. Um, and we will come back and join you sometime in January. And our goal, again, is to put out uh, one podcast a month, maybe a couple of podcasts a month, until Obsidian starts releasing more information. And then, of course, we'll, we'll really be uh, churning through anything that they put out about this future game, which we get... We kind of expect to be released in 2022, 2023, somewhere around there. Um, but thank you for being a part of this and for joining us. And we're going to leave you today, as we always leave you, with the musical genius of Justin Bell. So close your eyes and uh, envision your past adventures in the world of Aora and just get lost in the music. <laughs>